listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. And now, a dramatic reading of the events of the Nunatomy text thread. On June 28, 2014, setting San Jose, California, and Durango, Colorado. Time, approximately 12 a.m. I am so fuck on trash, Jed. Here's the best thing I've seen at a winning in a while. And then there is a video of a child dancing. It's after mod. I don't care. Do not disturb or Shamo disturb you all night. <laughs> Jesus, you really are trash. <laughs> yup. Fuck's up, son. Wedding, bro. Let's all fuck a baby mountain lion. <laughs> Who the woods? <laughs> I think Sean is just hitting the phone with his face. The part of David McGuire will be played by Eric Brickmont. Sarah, remember that segment you wanted to do? This is where we can start. And then Sean can then apologize for it. <laughs> Yay! I'm Sean Moriarty, and I apologize. <laughs> oh, and that is what happens on the Nerdonomy text thread. This has been a performance, the Nerdonomy text thread. <laughs> uh, Please do drive safely. Just another weekend yes. in Nerdonomy paradise. Indeed. I love that. Let's so go. I woke up to that because I, I passed out so early last night. Dude, I woke up to this this morning and I was just laughing. I got so that hard. in live time and I couldn't even... I, I, I couldn't even handle it? I couldn't I, I stopped. I just... I had to give up because it, the pinnacle of text humor had been reached, I so think. So I'm going to be honest. The text thread sometimes... <laughs> I'm I like I'll skip like 40 messages because I just I, I don't have that kind of time to be that invested to catch up to what's going Me on. Yeah, either. but let's all fuck a baby mountain lion to the woods <laughs> stood out so prominently for me. I, I that's sh- how I started my morning. I showed nice. that one. I showed that one to Steve and he was just like. And that's the last we ever heard of him. <laughs> Hang on. Dave's a little confused. Dave just sent us a question mark. Like, wait, what's going what's on? Going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. The baby lion was was super into it, but the mom not so much. <laughs> so, Sean, how was your night? I mean, how much were uh, you? That's Somebody how my night was. doesn't feel good. Mister went to a wedding and grumpy. started with Espalone tequila. Ooh. Then went on to Fireball, Ooh. beer. Oh, Jesus. What is then wrong with to, you? Then went to my brew pub and drank Stout Slammers. Oh, my God. And then a bunch of bullet whiskey. And then I time traveled to today. <laughs> and I woke up in the hallway with no pants on, pants around my ankles as if like I had gone to the bathroom, finished my business, and then just like crawled to a point where I could lay flat. And then sure. woke up at like six in the morning and was like, I have an alternate hypothesis. I think the mountain lion wanted re- revenge. Oh my God. How does your butthole feel? <laughs> yeah. Check There's your butthole. tiny little sets of claw marks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually would be enough to probably get me drunk. Ooh, that's really? really hard to do. Yeah. All I know is that Moyari Brothers and cinnamon flavored whiskey is not a good it combination. It is a terrible combination. <laughs> you guys are allergic to that terrible. shit. Terrible. <laughs> Fireball whiskey is is a product of Satan. Yeah. <laughs> that's why there is what looks like the devil. Yeah, on there's the front a little devil the on it. Can you trust the yeah. marketing? And I think that's cool that. marketing. But if you look in the back, it does say this is the product of Satan. Like made in hell. If, made in if hell. you buy this bottle, you are selling one hundredth of your soul. <laughs> Satan's ejaculate is fireball. It's <laughs> oh, fireball. Jesus. Lord almighty. Ew. With a pre-cum chaser. <laughs> wow. oh, That's super, super strong. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Nerds on Film. <laughs> I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Roxy Newberry. And I'm fuck on trash, Jed. Sean <laughs> <laughs> <John> Moriarty. <laughs> of I'm here. Yay. Yes, indeed. Joining us tonight for a very special episode of Nerds mm. on Film is uh, my Nerds on History co-host, Eric Brickmont. Oh, yay. Golf Eric, Eric, the Brickmont Brickmont. That's right. I like how last week like we were missing me and like Eric wasn't here, obviously. And like yeah. today, we have basically almost everybody, everybody in Nerdonomy on the show today. Sans David. Well, I mean... 
besides David, yeah. even though David is always present. He's like an omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent Nordonomy member with yeah. his online presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave just said, fuck yes, when he found out that we did the dramatic uh, <laughs> reading. So. Yeah, he's got really yeah. excited about that. So David's here in spirit, which means that we're all accounted for. Indeed. Yeah, that's cool. Um, hey, movie roundup real quick. I only watched the movie for our episode. Which yeah. we're getting to. Oh, wait, no, I lied. I got most of the way through um, Dear Mr. Waterson. I haven't finished oh, it yet because okay. I've been kind of like picking it up, putting it down, but um, mm. with my laptop physically walking nice. around my apartment nice. <laughs> watching it. I but. started, um, it's called The Devil's Knot, and mm. it's starring Reese Witherspoon and Colin Firth. And it was done in 2013. It's based off of the West Memphis Three trial. Oh. So oh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the documentary series. Uh-huh. Um, it's all about the trial that happened in Arkansas concerning the three young boys who were mysteriously murdered. Mm. And um, basically, these three young men who were teenagers at the time were targeted because they were obsessed with kind of like heavy metal music. And one of them in particular, um, his name was... Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but people people know the story. But he was obsessed with the occult mm. and kind of satanic stuff. Like he would like read like books on satanic rituals, and he was kind of known as like a goth kid at his high school. Mm-hmm. And so teen you know kids would call him out and like make fun of him. And basically, the sheriff's department targeted him too. And they like you know one of the guys, one of the basically there's three teenagers. One of them basically gave a false confession because uh-huh. he was considered mildly retarded i think um and because of that basically he was coerced um the sheriff who was in, you know interrogating him unknowingly influenced this kid to give a false confession because this kid like didn't have his wits about him basically mm-hmm. and they found out after the fact and there's mm-hmm. these three documentaries that were made um that followed the trial and followed the whole thing because the end up story be the the end result is that these actually these three men now they were basically sentenced to life in prison were falsely accused. Yeah. Wow. Well, you look at death row and you'll see quite a few folks who have developmental delays that are in the exact same situation. Yeah. And, of, and in sad. fact, it's a similar case to this that actually leads to the reason why we have to say our Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a mentally challenged man who, again, was given a confession and it was found out because he was never read his constitutional rights. Uh, that's what determined that that can never be given as evidence. So, yeah. Um, it's based off of I'm trying to get the names of the um the West Memphis 3 and the documentaries that you guys should check out if anyone is interested in looking at the story um it's based off a book called The Devil's Not the True Story of the West Memphis 3 and the documentaries are called Oh Paradise Lost it's called Paradise Lost The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills Paradise Lost 2 Revelations and Paradise Lost 3 Purgatory directed by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky Cool. Yeah, I recommend them. And so this major motion picture, it's out on Netflix right now. That's how I found out about it. Mm-hmm. It's basically documenting or giving a theatrical portrayal of the actual murders. Because um, no one knows exactly what happened. Okay. But they, knows, yeah. they know that these three boys went off on their bikes and they disappeared and they were found later, you know, naked mm-hmm. and hogtied in a river. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, pretty, pretty intense stuff. And Reese Witherspoon, it's, it's actually a pretty big cast of really well-known actors. Mm-hmm. And they all do a really great job of portraying all these people that we already know about thanks to the documentaries. Cool. Yeah. So I really recommend it. I saw uh, about 15 minutes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith on, on <laughs> Telemundo. Nice. Oh. In Espanol. Oh. And I have to say... It was far better than the English version. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was really oh, close. it was great because the original one's crap. The one with with English is crap. Yeah. No, I agree. I think the Spanish version was fantastic. And uh, you know, are Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are they still like Pokemoning? You know, little children from around the world. Uh, well, I don't think they've uh, <laughs> Pokemoning. Got to catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's I the best think... phrase for it ever. Um, well, no, really I, think, because... I think they slowed down. Oh, okay. Well, it's really because, you know, they have their kid. No, Angelina Jolie adopted Maddox, right? right? And she wanted it to feel like when he got old enough, when he wanted to have a model UN. Yes. They He didn't want to have to go looking for it. They were yes. able just to be able to make it. Has he evolved into a Charizard? Uh, Has he evolved? Yeah. He's tall now, too. Kid's like 12, 13 years old now. Really? Yeah. I that's saw weird. Maleficent and their youngest kid, Vivian. Uh, is used as one of the child actors oh, really? Maleficent as a baby yeah and there's a scene so where funny. she actually picks up Vivienne uh-huh. and Vivienne plays with her horns 
<laughs> and yeah. they, apparently Angelina was like, yeah, they wanted a kid who wasn't going to be afraid of me in my makeup. And uh, my own kid was like laughing at me when I was in go. my makeup. So they said, hell, <laughs> let's cast her. Okay, perfect. she's blonde too. It's there you perfect. have it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said she was going to be a prop. I almost heard <laughs> prop for a second. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw Chef. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dave and I had a little mandate on Monday, and we went and saw it. And it, it was uh, really, really good. I gotta yes. say, it was great to see John Favreau go back and do a smaller project because it just shows how versatile of a filmmaker he is. He can mm-hmm. do the multi-million-dollar blockbuster film, but he can also tell just a really good story about this hot LA chef who's kind of lost his—I um, don't want to say mojo, but he's just kind of lost that his drive, happiness, basically. Is it John Leguizamo? John Leguizamo is his sous chef. Oh, that's yeah. Right. John Favreau is actually in it as an uh, as the main character. Nice. And so he has a you no. Know, without going giving too much of the story away, he has a bad review from a food critic. Uh, gets him fired from this restaurant because this owner doesn't want to change anything up when he's trying to do new things. Mm-hmm. So he decides that he um, basically gets suggested to do a food truck, and he hates the idea. But not knowing that food trucks are becoming this whole big trendy thing in the food world, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Ends up doing that and ends up. It's also really cool because the story is very much about him trying to reconnect with his son. Oh, cool. Because his son's about 10, 12 years old and him and his wife are divorced. So he doesn't see his father that much. And the kid just wants to hang out with him, but he's just mm-hmm. kind of shirking him away. Isn't the ex wife uh, Sophia Vergara? Too? She is. And she's great in it. Every, every single person in this movie uh, does a great performance. Oliver Platt makes a cameo. Ooh. And does a great job. Dustin Hoffman makes a, perform- a cameo and nice. knocks it out. Scarlett Johansson's in it for about five minutes as well. I feel like Scarlett Johansson is in every movie these days. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> She's really popular. And she totally plays like the um, the, the Betty Page wannabe, mm. you know, uh, hipster. She's got like the dark eyebrows and the and the, the noticeable bangs. And nice. she's dressing like the fishnets and everything. She It, it was uh, definitely believable. What really impressed me, though, aside from just this great storytelling, is that like, I think John Favreau really prepared for the part. Because when he's in the kitchen, he's showing some skills that you know he's like cutting up some stuff way faster than any human being should of, of who is an actor and director should be able to, to handle a sharp object without hurting themselves pretty severely so um you don't think they just like sped it up in, in post no 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 no, no. <laughs> and it's it, you can tell because like you see this him do like going crazy with the knife and then uh-huh. they pan up and it's totally him it's not like a hand model wow. who's doing it so, cg i think it was cg <laughs> yeah yeah uh, if you are a foodie and a film person this is the perfect movie to go see because it's a Ooh. yeah it was it was great sean did you see anything yeah i finally saw a million ways to die in the west so i'm a little behind you guys but i enjoyed it a lot i mean honestly it is a predictable love story movie cookie cutter one with a whole bunch of horrendous and amazing gags thrown on, on top of it and i enjoyed it nice i'm glad you liked uh who'd you like the most oh my god i there was a tie between sarah silverman and Jerry and Giovanni Ribisi and yeah, both of them yes. together, their whole like little side story and the callback to his creepy dance from Ted. Yeah. I was going to say thank you. So funny. It's so the body weird. roll. The body roll, but he's also licking something. Yeah, and he's doing yeah. it. No, he's, he's sucking out. He's drinking out of a straw, like a cocktail. Right. Yeah. right. I love that. Please don't kill us on sex night. On sex night. <laughs> and when they all get into a fight. Uh, there's like a barroom brawl will start immediately in the old west as soon yeah. as like anything happens yeah and they're, they're like all right quick get the position yeah. and they just they're like rolling their hands in front of each other's faces to make it look like they're fighting and they're like yeah. no reason to come get us we're real busy over here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was really clever yeah and then sarah silverman just has the cum on her face that was yeah awful for those, for those who haven't seen the movie she plays a prostitute who is also a devout christian so she's totally okay like doing it for work but she can't go all the way with her boyfriend because that would be a sin yeah, yeah. so what if her boyfriend paid oh. <laughs> was a paying customer? then he wouldn't be her boyfriend anymore he'd be a why not customer. Could be both because she's traditional yeah, but if you got a stripper girlfriend and you still Eric. pay to go into the joint and you tip her, that's you're like overthinking the same thing. it. I'm Eric, just saying, Eric, how dare you? You never take your work home with you. <laughs> wow, love it. Wow. Anywho, so uh, so the Patriot. <laughs> indeed, since this episode's going to drop on July second, uh, we thought it'd be really appropriate to talk about uh, a, th- a film that you know couldn't be more American themed, but also couldn't be. Uh, more flawed either so <laughs> just like america um, and why july 2nd why not july 4th well actually folks quick little history lesson july 2nd is when the continental congress 
signed the resolution of independence, which is that basically said that, yes, we all agree, we are going to declare our independence uh, from Britain. And it was a short one paragraph thing that everybody signed. And they're like, cool, great. So now let's take the longer version of that and then we'll sign that. That's like Drunk History's version. <laughs> exactly. They're like, awesome. And then, but you know, like it'll, it'll be Will Ferrell mouthing awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Well, it took them two full days because, you know, there was taco night. <laughs> taco <laughs> Tuesday. You don't want to miss taco that. Tuesday. So Indeed. that happened on July 3rd. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. there was the aftermath of taco night. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't till later in the evening, July 4th, once enough people had recovered that they were ready to Mind you, it. they didn't have indoor plumbing yet. So did they had to uh, Nor did they have air conditioning. And this was a, quite a hot summer, too. Yet so. somehow they still had a Margaritaville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. So we're the Patriot. Probably one of the greatest American films ever made. <laughs> Jesus, Why? shut your whore because mouth. Because Roland Emmerich is a goddamn Jesus. So if you, if you look at this movie on paper, it has all of the recipe you would think from a studio execs. This is going to make a shitload of money, yeah. right? You're going to have Roland Emmerich, who is the great disaster movie director, as you saw from ID4. And Dude, 10,000 BC. Fucking Independence Day, man. It's, yeah. That is such a great movie because it doesn't take itself so seriously. Right. But this movie does. And that's, that's I the think, problem. the problem. Exactly. There's the rub. Um, it would have been then, way better if Jeff Goldblum played Mel Gibson's character. Exactly. Oh my God. Before Hang on uh, this, uh, uh, war is uh, uh, over, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. So. Wow. Roland Emmerich did Eight-Legged Freaks. He did Eight-Legged... Oh, that's that right. That movie is eight. brilliant. And Godzilla, as in the 1998 It did. Garbage one. So clearly he has the background to t- handle the Red American Revolution um, with, oh with no decency God. and respect. You guys, Independence Day Forever is coming out in 2016. Oh yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Forever. 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 Why? Yeah. Forever, Why ever? did I... Did, just taint a perfect Independence bubble. Day Forever is is the logo for it like a big Riddler question mark with one of the ships in the middle of it <laughs> but it's weird though because they're totally taking a huge departure and they're actually doing a whole Groundhog's Day thing where oh, it just God. starts over again every single day oh, every <laughs> I think is it Michael every B. Jordan they recast as yeah. um, they recast it as the Will Smith character it because. says Michael B. Jordan is said to have been considered for it oh. um, and then there's going to be an Independence Day Forever part two. Oh my god oh my god <laughs> All right. how can you have a forever part two folks forever, forever? <laughs> folks I think they said all <laughs> Damn it, Eric. <laughs> I think they said all they needed to say with the original ID4. The cash cow is dry. It's burger time. Seriously, it's don't don't time. try to suck any more out of it. it you're going to get shit milk. Seriously. <laughs> That's, wow. That is by far the you're most gonna like, get shit vulgar <laughs> vision in my uh, mind right now, wow. Brian. That's going to be, hurts. we got to put that out there, and that's got to be a saying from now on. You're only going to get shit milk. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're setting yourself up for disaster. You're going to be squeezing out shit milk. <laughs> anyway, back to the Patriot. So, like you said, speaking it's got the perfect, milk. yeah, speaking of yeah, you would, Roland Emmerich. You would, you would think you got Roland Emmerich mm-hmm. handling a, oh, 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 oh wait. So we're going to do a movie about the American Revolution. Okay, well, who's going to do history action movies? Oh, yeah, Mel Gibson, because he did that fucking Braveheart, Braveheart movie. movie. Um, and, good, and, and the screenwriter. Right, and they got Robert Rodat, who had done um, a couple of big movies. What was the movie he'd done before? It was a big... Uh, Robert Rodat had done oh, Saving Private Ryan in 1998. You. And um, then he had also done 10,000 BC. Uh, and, oh, well, that's uh, what I uh, <coughs> Sorry, I had what, to throw Something up. called The Comrades of Summer? And Tall Tale and Fly Away Home. Tall so, Tall Tale? Okay, so wow. tall, So clearly so he had a little a bit of. He has Americana. Yeah, so he, he gets Americana. He had had a fleeting moment of genius mm. with Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, may I say. I have my issues with Saving Private Ryan. Everybody's go got issues with Saving Private Ryan. Well, we'll get there, though. We'll yeah. get there. This diff- different, different decade, different, different time. Different decade, different topic. Equally American film. I know, I know. That being said, Mel Gibson had just done. Braveheart, and that was and also much... *The Weapon* for <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, Sarah. So let, let's just talk about the screenwriter here for a second. <laughs> Rodat had gone through seventeen drafts of That's this right. script. That's you right. Before you heard they it. got an acceptable one, <laughs> seventeen and seventeen, not and seven, not ten. 
That is seven. a one in his death. It's a 10 plus 7. That's 17 times. Not 18. Not 16. 17. <laughs> Let that sink in. And, and they cut it. They took him that long to cut it down to a three-hour movie. Right. <laughs> and in addition to having drafted this 17 times, he also was very much insistent on having Mel Gibson play the role. And how he delivered this message to the studio execs was by, at the time, Mel Gibson had six kids. So he wrote six kids into the, the character's life. Um, seven. seven. No, no, six. <laughs> Yes, and sir. then when Mel Gibson had his seventh child, right but after he was cast, right before they <laughs> shot, they added a seventh kid in. I didn't which know that part. makes sense why at the end of that movie, I was like, wow, most of these children in the story are fucking useless and contribute nothing. Why were they there? Oh, it's because you were sucking up to Gibson. And you noticed and how... He, yeah, and they yeah. only specifically wanted him because he could do Braveheart, because he wanted him to be the American version of William Wallace. It was Braveheart to America. And Mel Gibson, <laughs> just for the record, now has eight children. Yeah. yeah. You and go. you notice at the end of the movie how Julie Richardson has a baby in a blanket. So there's eight kids in that movie, though. Oh, yeah. It's because he porked his dead wife's sister. <laughs> I'm not like my sister. I'm not like my sister. I swallow. How, how, can, any, <laughs> how can any movie that has Renee Abergenois suck so bad? I don't know. Because I love that man. Rene Abergenois, for those who don't know, is a brilliant character actor. You would know him from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We played Odo. Who's the shapeshifter. He's the guy who basically looked like the fucking Phantom of the Opera, but with the mask had melted into his face. Um, Similar love problems, too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He was also, he was in Batman Forever. He had a cameo in that. And he's done in MASH, the original MASH movie. He was in the original uh, MASH movie. Father Mulcahy. Indeed, he's had bits and pieces cameos all over television and film been an actor for 40 plus years great actor and you're right he plays the reverend in this movie oh the poor reverend yeah the um, historically completely inaccurate that's a bummer. but let's also f- not forget <laughs> who else this movie has in it uh we have a young heath ledger mm. post 10 things i hate about you pre brokeback mountain remember like yeah. holy shit this dude can can really act you know i don't know but he, not in this one not in yeah this one. he felt <laughs> and honestly though you could see I felt like I was trying to figure out, I was like, is it that he's just really green? Is it that he's still trying to figure out, like, I don't know. I, I was Casey having, had a shitty script. I was yeah. having a hard time. I was like, how much of it is the script? And, and it's not, and it didn't let him shine through at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another issue I had, as I was talking about this with Roxy earlier. When Heath Ledger was delivering his lines, you could tell he was really struggling to just deliver them for the time period. Okay. Right, and they, they did do and they some did. sense of trying to make the dialogue sound the peri- like the period. Everyone except, except Mel Gibson. Yeah, he Mel just kind of speaks plain. Mel Gibson's dialogue was completely anachronistic. It felt wrong, and it didn't work, and it was like, wow, I feel like you can get by with that in Braveheart because you're covering it up with an accent, mm-hmm. but you do not have an accent to cover you here. Yeah, and there's mm-hmm. a couple, but there's a couple lines that sound more period, but you're right, for the most part, his... Like, he does that line says, it does me good to see you. Yeah. You know, or he does, like... Yeah, but that was totally accidental. He was just speaking grammatically incorrect. And there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, well so, that covers that. He I mean, did have is... good parts in it, though. Like, I, any movie, no matter how bad it is or how bad his performance is, when he's going to lose his shit, he's fucking awesome. Oh, when he goes yeah. all Colonial Rambo and, yeah. like, takes out all those soldiers with the tomahawk? Goes oh, yeah, town. and then just, like, beats one into hamburger while his That was, that was pretty rad. Yeah. Because that's the real Mel Gibson. Yeah. He's coming through he's in full the of, He clearly is, as we've seen in his public life, where he's had these instances where he's said terrible things to his uh, ex-fiance or terrible things to police officers when he's been under the influence of alcohol. Clearly, Mel Gibson actually does have issues with rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just really good at letting it out on camera. I was like, oh my god, that was so amazing. It wasn't amazing. It was Mel Gibson being Mel Gibson. It's yeah, a bad it's still awesome. really awesome to watch. It is so good. Yeah. Really awesome if he had more movies like this to use as an outlet, he probably wouldn't be such a douchebag in public. There Possibly. Um, well, he's past his prime, unfortunately. So, what so he doesn't really have that many anymore. Have you seen him though lately? He's huge. He's fucking jacked. Is yeah. he really? Yeah, he's got because yeah. he was for the uh, the Expendables. Expendables. Oh, that's right. right. He's doing Expendables. Right. Uh, so what we're gonna focus on for most of the episode is. Yes, this, we, we know this movie has issues working just as a film, but we also feel that a lot of people went in this movie and think, oh, wow, what a great depiction of our nation's birth. 
<laughs> no, it is not. Ladies and gentlemen, no. one man did not save America. That's no. not what this is. Just Actually, and yes, he did, and his the, name is George Washington. At no point in the middle of a heated battle would he put down his weapon, pick up a flag, and start waving it like he just got to the top of the fucking <laughs> He's like, keep pushing forward. Or it's like, so keep, the line, keep, keep the, the line, keep the line, keep the line. And they did a lot of slow motion yeah. stuff, too. There's a keep the I know, I know. Um, Can I say, though, this is the best way to just sum up this whole movie. This was perfect. So Harrison Ford was offered the offered the role at uh-huh. one point, um, Mel Gibson's role, and he turned it down because he said that it turned the Revolutionary War into one man's melodrama. <laughs> and I was like, that boils it down. <laughs> yeah, well, it really it. is. If you want to look at the themes of the movie, the, th- the biggest thing that comes to mind, family. Yeah, of course. Family. Yeah. Family being torn apart by severe circumstances, trying to get back together, yeah. trying to hold on to survival. Yeah. And you have one son's legacy, continuing on his father's legacy, Right. the struggle of that. I mean, you see the comparisons they draw between Heath Ledger's character and Mel Gibson's character. How there are so many scenes where you see father and son just trying to hash things out and, and comparing each other and the similarities you see there. One of the funny, cute little moments I see there is after the wedding of the of Heath Ledger's character to, um, I think her name was Anne or whatever. Anyway, basically yeah. his love interest, right? Anne Howard, yeah. Yeah, so they're like eating an apple together and you see this like shot of the two of them side by side just like chewing the same exact way. Right. Like Heath Ledger is, Im- is uh, imitating Mel Gibson the way that he eats his food. Right. And it's really cute and it's like sweet. And so I think this film succeeds in that aspect that it really manages to capture the importance of family and it manages to portray the trauma that a lot of families can try i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but basically i liked how the family is portrayed so what i will agree with is this film does do a great job of creating moments where you are moved and more moments where you care about a character for that moment yeah which is what any director really tries to do. But you're also your job is to tell a cohesive story, too. And I think where it... Uh, and there's a couple other things that it does well. And let's talk about those quickly before we get into where it doesn't do very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie is... First off, this movie is not history. Oh. It is historical fiction at best. It is not docudrama. So please do never, never go into this movie thinking this is exactly how it happened. Because it is not. However, uh, I would say Roland Emmerich is really good at one concept which is verisimilitude the appearance of truth but not actually it being truth because he had a team of researchers do a lot of collaboration with the smithsonian institution and get the accuracy in place for the clothing for the settings for all the props for everything that would visualize the world okay and make it look real to make it look period so it looks 1776, yeah. because it is. It's a visually stunning yeah. film, let's be yeah. honest. Yes. And that's what pisses me the fuck off. <laughs> because it makes you think it's it's accurate, and it's not. Mm-hmm. False it, advertising. It, it's the same reason I was so pissed when we went to go see uh, Monuments Men. Mm. Is because it does such a great job of putting you there in the actual experience of the people that you believe that everything that you are seeing is real. It has to be real because you're emotionally invested. It's the same argument for Inglorious Bastards. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, though. One of the marks of a good director and of a good storyteller is suspension of disbelief. So, I mean, arguably, that that is actually a point in their favor. But if you pick actual history that's hard to believe as being true because it's so beyond what normally happens you can mm-hmm. you can play that to your advantage i can understand yeah, yeah. i can understand this argument for monuments men where yeah. these were real people with trying to deliver real things these are not real characters so i mean either you make a really good point but here's the trouble though people don't know the difference when they go to the theater right and that's the point i think i'm trying to make is that there were actual real people they could have chosen from that could have made fantastic stories that they could have put all this great effort and energy into to tell something cool about the birth of our nation. And there was one real character in the movie. Uh, Cornwallis was an actual British general who was trying to, you know, basically he was in charge of the Southern theater of the American Revolution. So there's, there's, again, he plays with that sense of truth without there actually being any to what's going on. Namely... Mel Brooks is uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, you <laughs> wish, you wish. Blasphemer. I'm, I'm 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 appalled. Yeah. Mel, Mel Gibson. 
fucking Mel. Um, <laughs> Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, never existed. He's an amalgam of several Revolutionary War characters or people. Um, predominantly, the one who it's based off of the most is Francis Marion, a.k.a. the Swamp Fox, as he was known. Right, for his innovative form of guerrilla warfare that quickly spread to the rest of the colonies. Oh yes. my right. god, they said the Guardian denounced him as a serial rapist who hunted red Indians for fun. It's true, because... That was the time period. So Benjamin Martin, this main character, is a veteran from the French and Indian War, right, where he fought under the British Army. By the way, uh, so did George Washington. Oh my god. And uh, was a colonel. And so he retired, swore he'd never go back to war because he'd seen the horrors of war. And in fact, he has a famous quote attributed to him that is not even his words. It was the words of a guy named Mather Biles, which is that... uh, I'd rather have one tyrant 3,000 miles away than 3,000 tyrants one mile away. Oh, and they put that in the movie. They put yeah. that in the movie, exactly. They projected Mather Biles' words, who, by the way, was just a clergyman uh, at the time, uh, upon him, because it was a famous saying at the time. Hmm. Um, and there's other, there's one other accuracy. There, they did get some of the colloquialisms correct. There was a, when there's the protests that are going on in South Carolina at the beginning, they say, hang them all, hang them all. That was on banners, the colonialists were so fed up with, with the British yeah. at this point. Um, it took a couple of incidents in Boston uh, of um, supposedly unprovoked violence that just kind of tipped the scale. I mean, so arguably, yes, this movie is bullshit. But <laughs> the screenwriter, I mean, give him some credit. It's really well-researched bullshit. Because he did, he, no, he dived into several diaries, several accounts, and did a lot of research while he was preparing it. And then they just decided what was the parts that we could take out and that we can fudge and we can combine in order to yeah. make it happen. Like, they they specifically, they had the conversation, do we give this character slaves or not? You know, they had that conversation. And, and they decided and it was, not to. They're going to be paid workers, which was totally no. common in South Carolina. In the time. 1800s, <laughs> or the 1800s, the 18th century. Exactly. And I get dramatic license, too. But you've got to be true to the spirit of what actually happened and there are entire battles in this movie that were lost that they they made it like the big battle at the end of the movie they lost that battle the, there was no retreating for the british the british well, pummeled it was, them there were two different battles that they combined yeah, they into one yeah, yeah. exactly so here's the thing though if you go through all that effort to do all that research and read all those diaries yeah. and and become a part of that those people's worlds right why would you not want to tell one of their stories or why would you not want i, I get i get i get where you're coming from but i'm just saying that you got to remember. You got to. You got to be conscious of the effect that you're going to have when you make a movie like this. And if you really want to tell the history, tell it. To play Don't, devil's advocate, they didn't want to tell the history. They yeah. wanted to tell a good story. Well, to to play devil's advocate, that's my theory too. Is that the guy was like, wouldn't it be cool to tell a story about this family man who doesn't want to get involved in the Revolutionary War, but then has to because he because of something personal trauma that happens to him, i.e., his son yeah. being murdered by a British officer. Both of them. Um, Two sons. Exactly. I mean, his motivations were... Yeah, he's essentially freaking Rambo in in the American Revolution. And he gets his revenge. And that is what's so satisfying about the whole damn thing. So I'm I'm betting, just thinking in the screenwriter's mindset, that that's all he wanted to tell. And then he peppered in the research to make it plausible. But Eric and I are thinking it from two different perspectives. We're thinking of it from the screenwriter's perspective where, yes, you can want to tell the story and then you do all the research to back it up. Mm -hmm. Now, me, if I were doing that research, I would let the story unfold a different way. It's like, oh, well, this is way more interesting than I had had considered. Let's just tailor that. And that's what I think what Eric's trying to say, too, is like if you go into this and you discover it, history sometimes is just as, as interesting as the dramatic story you're crafting in your head. Think of 12 Years a Slave. What an amazing story. And it is very close to the original source material, which is the book that he wrote about his 12 years being a slave. Right. What a great story. Did we have to make up a bunch of shit? Eh, there was a little bit of poetic license that was taken with it to tell the story and, and, and move it forward and make it poignant and meaningful in yeah. certain areas. And I understand that. But the state so close to the original story. I'm just thinking the American Revolutionary War, with as vocal as how everybody was at that time, there had yeah. to have been... A true story that could have been. And there were. There there have been a lot of great documented true stories about these things, but they did not say this was going to be based on a true story. No, but everyone assumed just because they saw it, that it because of the way it looked. Really? It did everybody assume that's, that? I think, I think I, that's on them. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think if that's on the audience. you walk in to see The Patriot and you go, that, I don't have to go to U.S. history class tomorrow. 
I'm fucking done. I'll test out based on this movie. You don't go there, just do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> I get people are going to be stupid, and it's on them ultimately for being stupid. But if we're trying to create an environment where we're not perpetrating, where we're not, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking Propagating? for? Propagating. Propagating, thank you. Ignorance in our society. Why don't we give them, you know, some yeah. real stuff yeah. to you? But we can also have entertainment. We exactly. can. Say you can. Yeah, but I think what Eric is saying, too, is that the history in them itself can be entertaining enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there is one other thing the movie does do accurately. Piss off the British. Yep. The, yes. Oh, my God. The British press hated this movie. Okay. Well, rightfully so. I was yeah. just like, Jason Isaacs and Tom Wilkinson was like, were you at any point uncomfortable doing this movie? I know. Um, it was like cartoonish. But we're digressing. Honest. We're digressing. That's not what I was going to say other than pissing off the British. Okay. The one other thing they did actually get right were the battle scenes. Okay. Uh, and particularly with the, term, the use of cannon warfare. Oh yeah. my god, when he knocks the dude's head off? Exactly. I was like, what the legs? Oh. We're used to seeing in early films just this explosion and then everything just mm. going everywhere. No, though, yes, there was an explosion from when it hit out of the barrel, but then it bounced. And yeah. that fucker bounces at like 100 miles an hour. So yeah. yeah, you see it taking out legs and heads. Most of the oh. explosions were from people's, you know, abdominal cavities oh, exploding. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> and the <laughs> accurate elements of this. <laughs> and now... Let's dive in and have some fun. Let's I just fair. love, I just have to say, yeah. real quick, even while we were doing the accurate elements of it, so much crap came out yeah. that was inaccurate. This is, it just, it, I think it just speaks to. Well, I, I think this is a room of very frustrated filmgoers oh. that if that's going to come out, now we just get to fucking A. We'll, we'll try and defend it if we can, but let's just have at it, folks. Okay, great. First and foremost, at no point did any British soldier Mm-mm. burn down a church filled with so people. We about British sure. Nazis. We do, because if it did, you better be damn sure that the Americans would hold that fucking grudge for a really long yeah. time. If you came yeah. across a church full of burned corpses, I don't care if you're out in the fucking boonies. That is going to stick. You're, someone's going to hear about it, and it's going to get written about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, Kids and learn about did. that. That's why that stuff is so completely powerful because we know that people like the Nazis did stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And well, the that British and the Nazis we... are like pretty much the same thing. In this Obby! movie, in this movie, they They're are. Like Nazis which that you love know, Doctor Who. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow, and so they, and they basically they basically turn Colonel Tavington into like Darth Vader. Yeah, <laughs> they really do. They do. It's awesome. It's it's really fright. And like, I mean, Tom Wilkinson playing Cornwallis, like he played him just like a chess playing dandy. I'm like, a and I was. Exactly. And I was like, you know, so it just felt it just felt wrong. It felt like it was it was really clearly just making fun of of the British the entire time. And no wonder (laughs) the British press were really offended by this movie, because I mean, yeah. And and there. Yes, there was a certain structure to war. There was a gentleman, gentlemanly approach to it. And the guerrilla tactics. I mean, this is stuff we learn in history class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be totally fair. Jason Isaacs is a brilliant actor, and yeah. he plays. Yes. Yeah. Fuck, does he play a good villain? He actually he he plays everything really, really yeah. well. If you guys have seen him in any of the other those other yeah. films, Captain Hook, not playing. So can we Captain agree Hook, then? Or Lucius Malfoy's father? Can we agree yeah. then that the the actors in this film all did their best? No, he's Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> Sorry, I just because the actors, I feel like this is a really strong cast. The only really saving grace to this whole damn charade, this whole fiasco, sure. is the fact that each actor in this film, minus Mel Gibson, minus the kids, the kids. I think Mel Gibson even. I think even Mel Gibson actually has moments that he. Mel Gibson, okay, Susan of all the kids, yeah. was, was the great. most powerful oh part God. in the entire Stop, film right. for me. Stop talking about. I'm That's gonna cry it. Again. That's it. That's all. That's all I'm going to say about the that. The little okay. one that doesn't talk, right? Yes. Papa! I'll say, I'll say anything I'll you want me to say. I always tear up. My fiance does too. Please don't go. Okay. I cried. I okay. cried. Okay. The third oldest boy. Okay, fine. Okay, fine, Sarah. The I'll ones fine. that... Of the, there's the two oldest that die. You mean the kids the, who commit murder? Yes. <laughs> and then there's the... Yes, the, the third oldest child who basically, aside from his one scene where he helps off a bunch of soldiers yeah. while Mel Gibson's going nuts. He just spends like, yeah. the rest of the movie. It's just like I told you. Yeah, the rest of the movie is just him smiling. Aim small, shoot small. or aim. Charmingly yeah. at the camera. With his little Tom Sawyer hat. And just hat. like, oh, 
there's mail. And I'm okay. just like, I really want to fucking punch you. <laughs> and that was less than five minutes into the movie. Um, <laughs> that being said, the two oldest, Thomas and Gabriel. Oh, so yeah. Heath and Ledger. Thomas being the so kid that was in Everwood. Smith. Gregory Smith, who was in Everwood. Amazing, yeah. amazing actor. Pretty good, you know, young, young guy. Um, Julie Richardson was good, too. Oh, my God. Too bad she didn't have any fucking lines. Yeah. The women in this movie were criminally underused. Yeah, of course. Well, women at yeah, the time actors. were criminally underused. <laughs> Touche. Well, at the same time, I felt like, given the material and the controversy of it all, I felt that the actors really worked well. Yeah, and that was the strongest part for me. Even the guy from Grounded for Life. Yeah. uh, I want to disagree with something that Sean said. You said even women at this time were were greatly underutilized. Actually, during the American Revolutionary War, women stepped it up like no one's business. Yeah, they were like very aware that I was just trying to be an asshole. Oh, no, 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 that's good. Being an asshole for history yeah. is always a good thing. And who's also <laughs> used was, uh, was uh, Chucky Cario, the guy who played Jean Villeneuve. Thank who, you. Who, uh, Villeneuve, who, by the way, was also a real character. He nice. was a French naval officer. My favorite part for him is when he gets into his uh, his fatigues or his like his super French outfit. He's like, if, if I'm, I'm going, going to go out, to... I'm going to die with style. Yeah. If I'm oh going to die, God. at least I'm going to die well-dressed. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the He's French media theater. thought of this movie. <laughs> The French were the allies in this movie. I could to teach you how to fight like a And yet we still had to make fun of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I was noticing that like they did when they did the slow motion. Yeah. I'm looking for accuracy <laughs> and precision. Ready? Aim. Fire! <laughs> so bad. But it was. It was like this. They, they decided to slow down him saying the word fire. And it was like, why did you make that choice? What are you because doing? Because they wanted to emphasize the fact that they were firing. Yeah. And that fire sounds really, really French when you put yeah. an accent on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, Heath Ledger was so Fail. cute in this movie. I did want to kind of pinch his cheeks a little With bit. With his ink teeth. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, that was, uh, that was a great callback. His death say. scene is probably, I, I remember watching this movie for the first time when I was a kid and being really, really affected by his death. To me, the church you know, scene, when you see his wife, his new wife, too. just freaking out, yeah. yeah, you know, in the church with, the, with yeah. your parents, like that. One of the rewrites yeah. had her pregnant. Yeah. Time. Oh, God, don't even yeah. go there. I felt like this. And is, I totally yeah. felt like they could have gone there, too. You and know what? The, in that regard, then, this film, even though I know we want to go into the negative part about it, I feel like this film successfully handled the ebb and flow of a drama. You know, it gave a lot of the darkness. It gave a lot of, you know, it gave some comedic moments when appropriate. It gave a, it gave the audience some a break in that sense. You know, we're dealing with a heavy subject here. War, right? All this death and destruction, separation, trauma, you know, have at it. But then we have nice moments like a wedding or a love story or a family being reunited. You know, I felt like this movie successfully yeah. managed to balance those moments in and throughout. Sure. Being a three-hour epic, I mean, you gotta, right? Nearly three hours. Yeah, yeah if you're yeah. gonna keep someone engaged, <laughs> like this there's a reason this movie was so successful yeah and there were times where almost like <sighs> the movie didn't need to be three hours this movie could have been two and a half Fair. at best maybe even two hours and 15 it minutes it still had to have three acts you know it did but I'm just like I felt like that even though I get where they were trying to go they were trying to go yeah. with this epic yeah. war more movie that there are times where I just it, it was taking too long like compare it to a movie like Braveheart mm. which is also Terribly historically inaccurate and really, really long. Yeah. Really, really long. <laughs> and that was a that was a that was a two, doozy. That was a two parter uh-huh. on their VHS. Right, exactly. <laughs> that one oh, man. does a slightly better job of keeping you engaged. Or let's compare it to a, like a Nolan film, mm. Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises. Those are long movies, but yeah. you don't think about it because there's so much going on that you get engaged with mm-hmm. that you don't have to worry about. Feeling like, okay, what the fuck? Mm. I had shit to do today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be fair anymore. This movie sucked. <laughs> I'm hey, done being fair. Hey, just, you know stop being diplomatic, movie. Roxy. I know, I know, the I know. Movie, I don't think the biggest villain in the movie was the British. It wasn't Cornwallis. It wasn't that. It was the the mystique and the precision of making a rocking chair. Now, let me explain. Oh, <laughs> I think that that was motivation for him to just freak out the whole time. In fact, I bet you his and how fucking stupid when he was like, fucking Rocky chair always breaks. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. And the ending like, should have been him sorry. like a couple years later as they're rebuilding his house and stuff, and then he finally Crafting made the, the rocking chair. chair. Then it would have been another. Exactly. So it would have been three hours. Should have called minutes. this movie the rocking chair. That stupid '80s. 
character development callback. Like I love it. Yeah, it would have been amazing. I love and it. also, I mean, does he really need to be inspecting Lord Cornwallis's rocking chair? First off, does Lord Cornwallis even have a rocking chair? Probably not. <laughs> but yet he does, and he's inspecting the carpentry of it. Like, <laughs> dude, you're a colonial colonel at this point in the Continental Army, in the militia. You want to look as professional as possible mm-hmm. in front of a very powerful British lord slash general. You're not going to be inspecting the carpentry when he comes into I the think room. Mel no, Gibson but he had to have himself, Mel Gibson swagger that, that whole there. thing. Uh-huh. I bet you he put that in. Yeah, he no, has I really obsession should. with furniture. I mean, remember the passion where he made, like, Jesus invented the kitchen table. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he didn't? Wait, what? No Jesus did not. I thought he saved our souls through carpentry. <laughs> Fuck! Everything's a lie. Everything I know is a lie. <laughs> and Brian's out. He, he, did, he did, however, invent the end table. There oh. we go. That is true. Which oh, is like a just a wee sense. kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> just a mini in, fact, in fact, it was originally called the end of days table. Oh but, my um, god, shut <laughs> Actually, that Stop title it. got changed in production. Don't it, even. It was too oh long god. and it couldn't fit it on the, no, on the advertising. That was awesome. Go no. home, Brian, you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but that whole scene um, where Mel Gibson does go to like confront Corn- Cornwallis the first time with his two Great Danes, which at the time they weren't even actually being called Great Danes yet. Um, they were called boarhounds at the time. Um, <laughs> Sexual. Yeah, but it doesn't roll know, off the right? tongue in the movie when he's like, he's got two yeah. great Danes. Yes, <laughs> this is true. And I don't think the English like the Danish that much, let alone the dogs after <laughs> them. I just like the fact point. that he got the dogs. You know, yeah. the dogs liked him more. I'm like, what kind of symbolism is that? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> but like that whole scene itself was extremely Mel Gibson, where he kind of goes in with, I'm almost kind of bumbling, but not quite, because there's, like, cunning behind my eyes or whatever that he's got going on, you know? Like, there's a plan, and he's and it's just yeah. that whole delivery of, like, he called me a cheeky fellow. And cheeky like, fellow, yeah. There is a plan, though. Mel Gibson's going to save America. Like, no, he always does. I know, exactly. Yeah. You literally believe, if you're an idiot like I am, and you go into this movie <laughs> thinking that it is a historical biopic, then you're like, oh my god, Mel Gibson and his ragtag band of buddies are yeah. going to literally yeah. win the war. For, for the record, if you heard some snapping noises, my neck is totally intact. It oh was god, just... Brian, I was just worried. Crunch. That was pretty gross, dude. Was that was cracking. like... It was like your neck is made out of bubble tape or bubble wrap, and you just, like, popped every single thing in there. Yeah. Sorry. Sean, continue. Brian, uh, do you remember when we saw this movie in Temecula with Grandma and <laughs> and our uncles yes, and aunts I and, do. and our cousins? And we saw it on 4th of July. Yeah. And we went to see it, and it and <laughs> I remember when we left, if you're young and impressionable and you think it's fact, you're like, we were walking out, we're like, the goddamn British. Fuck them. Seriously, they're <laughs> terrible. Did you see what they did to the church? That totally happened. Fuck him. Yeah. And if there was one British person in the audience, like, get out of here, you limey fuck! <laughs> I was 14 at the time. Yeah! <laughs> I was very impressionable. Hence my biggest problem with the movie. It's <laughs> yep. You unfortunately have to face the fact that this movie tricked a lot of people. Mm. And uh, people aren't Americans aren't and still yeah. continues to do so. We're not Can we yeah. also talk a little bit about the race relations thing, though? Yes. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah, because please. Yes, we can. Because there was, they have the side story of uh, the slave of who's the trying, slave who's who joins the militia because um, he's being given to the militia by his owner, but then he actually says, "No, I'm actually doing this because I want to, not because you know." Well, by I'm, the time he's earned his freedom, right? Yes. Yeah, right. but no, but he said it like in the beginning. He was just like, "No, I'll I'll do this. I'll sign up for your militia or whatever because I'm going to earn my freedom by doing it or whatever." But you know what? That whole piece I think was used. You, because you know how there was the the other guy who was like his his opposition, right? Yeah, the guy, from, the guy the guy from yeah. Grounded so, from Life. Yeah, the way that their relationship unfolded, yeah. I think it was symbolic of the like you said race relations. Well, that yeah. was that was the thing there, but it was so heavy handed yeah. and dishonest. Not just dishonest, but also very what's the word disproportionate to the truth. Because well, at this point in time, it was not just Africans who were slaves; it was also Native Americans, right? And shocker, folks. White people were also slaves at this point in time. Go watch Twelve Years a Slave. About up to maybe about a hundred years before this actually happening, uh, it was this slave. Being a slave was a seven-year legal contract where you were indentured, indentured servitude. servitude. Yeah, and w- regardless of what your ethnic background was, mm-hmm. you could do that, get your freedom, and then become a, an active citizen member of society. It was uppity white people who were seeing their own white brethren quote unquote as slaves who were saying oh this is terrible no the white people shouldn't be slaves at all 
all the colored people, yes, that's totally fine. Yeah. And the th- rules were changed, and it became a lifelong indenturement now. now. You had to be freed at the will of your master at that point. And uh, but why I say it was so heavy-handed was because, you know, at the end of that movie, after the slave has now saved the other guy's life, his opposition, you know, had saved his life. Hmm, um, so. Friends. Yeah, so then after that, he's like, gra- like then there's up. all this gratitude. And then at the end, you know, they're about to, like, go into this final battle. And they just kind of say to each other, like, you know, didn't you earn your freedom, like, a few months ago? And he's like, yes, I did, but I'm here because I want to. Now I'm fighting for the cause of, of freedom. And, and, you know, they say it's going to be a new world from this point on. A and world it's, where all men are created equal. And I it, it believe is so he said that shit. fucking... <laughs> heavy-handed it's the symbolism this is not about a patriot it's about but it's, the patriot but it's but it's I, I mean again it's but i feel like it's so dishonest because it's like no they didn't just turn around like that and honestly it was really disproportionate because honestly there were a lot more um black people who were fighting than mm-hmm. was was depicted yeah. and and a lot more slavery than was depicted and it, i was offended by what was effectively whitewashing of history. Of and course. I really well, they had to do that because that. they totally want you to care about the characters. They don't want you to like see real history, like Eric was saying. They need to manipulate you into believing that all these characters are all redeemable because of the way that they, they this specific yeah. group, is treating their... Because uh, they were, like I said before, they were paid workers. Never mind the fact also that apparently America is totally okay having free black workers in their farm a la Benjamin Martin's plantation, but yet the British are totally okay taking free men and enslaving them to become soldiers in the British Army, too, as it happens early on in the film. Total fucking bullshit. Sorry. Yeah. So I want to make two points. One, Roxy, I haven't given up. I'm just... <laughs> I, I am distracted because I realized about halfway through recording this that I have a hole in my pants. It's, it's in my crotch, and the, the way I found out about it was I closed my legs quickly and I felt a wind come from my crotch. <laughs> On my hand that was resting wow. on my thigh, and it distracted me. You so just I just want to so clarify distraught. that because I'm like, well, shit, my fucking pants have a hole in it. You know who's responsible oh, for the hole in your pants? The fucking British. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, no. those limey, half-assed seamstresses. Seamstress. 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 Fuck them and their bad tailoring. <laughs> and 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 two, which is my real point. Um, why is this movie even called The Patriot? Because it came it out really right after 9-11 have... on 4th of July. They even said... No, they even said... I no, thought you were a Patriot, Mr. Martin. Martin. Yeah. It came out in 2000. Yeah. No, June 2000? I thought it was 2002. Yeah. No, nope. 2000. 2000. Really? They, um, they said in the movie, I, yeah. I thought you were a Patriot. Exactly, in the first act of the movie. But it really has so much less to do with patriotism than it does with this dude just trying to survive and, and keep his family together. Well, so... Yeah. You could believe that up until the one moment when he's about to leave, he finds Gabriel's flag that he's been mending. I'll get to the flag in a fucking oh second. God, the flag. <laughs> and he brings it to the war field. And he's just, I'll get to the flag in a fucking second. Ah, oh, the flag! And then he realizes, you know, and then he sees that the line is breaking. And to be totally fair, that's war. The war, it becomes complete chaos at some point, and you need someone to be able to remind you, no, we go this way, we oh, go this the way. Line. So then he has his moment of saying, no, wait, and then he runs the flag up oh, yeah. like fucking Because that was know, the make or break situation, um, because all of the battles they were saying uh-oh. that the lines kept breaking and everybody kept running away, and they needed William Wallace. Sorry, folks, I'm Benjamin. Folks, they didn't have fucking stars and stripes at this point Brian, in time. Brian, there's smoke coming out I, your ears. I know, and I need, it just needs to let it out. You're just let it out. bleeding if you it's, don't calm down. It's fine. It's fine. It's but, an you, you listen to me. You listen real good. <laughs> the stars and stripes were symbolism adopted after we granted our, we were granted our independence by the That's United right. Kingdom. It was not fucking there in the Revolutionary War. We had regional flags from the colonies yeah. that looked very different. Uh, snakes, for example, were a patriotic symbol. They at should one have point had the the flag of the South Carolina militia with its traditional green clovers, yellow moons, pink balloons. <laughs> the famous Betty Ross circular flag, or what, 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 what I mean is that the stars being in a circle, didn't come until the 19th century. Jeez. It was done as a commemorative flag. The original American United States flag had the stars and stripes, but they were lined up like we expect them today. It was three, two, three. Three, two, three. It was aligned. 
that part was just like, fuck. Again, symbolism. symbolism yes, and I symbolism, get it. Symbolism. I get it. They were using symbolism, but they're they're also indoctrinating audiences to think, oh, we had this totally at that time because they think it's close enough to the time period that it makes sense, and it doesn't. Holy shit, I was actually kind of right with the South Carolina flag. <laughs> uh, it did have a crescent moon, albeit white, not yellow. Still got a crescent moon on it. Actually. And it had a palm tree. Ooh, yep. It's kind of nice. That's cute. Yeah. And in fact, the state flag today still has those symbols on it. So, You know, I think it's interesting that they did that. They made that choice. Because I really feel like in that case, the filmmakers were just trying to cover all sorts of American colonialism symbolism. You know, when I first saw this movie, I had no idea that it was about the American Revolution. I thought it was about the fucking Civil War. Because I was getting confused. Because there was too many... I feel I feel like they were you incorporating goddamn Canadian. No, Get your history that's the thing, right. though. Hey. They were incorporating way too many themes from way too many wars in that sure. time. Sure, always true. You know? look at the hats. Yes, <laughs> fair. Like hats. But to you. me, man, to me, it's all what was the expression here? Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, that stays history lesson. No matter what, when all else look fails, at the look, look at the, at the hats. hats. And yes. there were tricorns all up in this bitch. Tricorn City. <laughs> like I. We should bring it back, dude. I'm telling they, you, they if should you've come got back a helmet with a spiky thing on it, World War One. I think we bring that yeah. back. We bring back the tailcoat too. Bring them both back. That's my yeah. argument. Being though, that was the whole thing about the symbolism piece. This movie was just one giant symbol of the ideal that America could have been back. The in American the day. dream. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it just happened to be set yeah. during a time frame. Yeah. Folks, when... the American dream is only about sixty years old, by the way. In case I know, people... I know. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Um. That being said, that's why I'm not taking this movie seriously at all, and I'm choosing only to focus on the actors and the story themes of family right. and love. You know, the love story and the fucking ink teeth. Like, I can't, I can't handle the American history piece of it because it's too much. Yeah. Speaking and the or uh, yeah oh sorry Sarah no no go ahead Sean please I was also gonna say that this movie also teaches you just have seven kids because you're gonna have to fight somebody and a couple of them are gonna die and you're gonna need them to run your farm so just have like yeah seven exactly kids. You, need you need to need have a few spares babies. you need to have a few spares yeah <laughs> can I just say that we have not mentioned this once and it would I would be doing a disservice to the nerd community if I did not mention and give a special shout out. To the great Adam Baldwin, i.e. Jane from Firefly, <laughs> who is yeah. in this fucking movie. He's amazing. Oh, God. Yeah. The way he looks at that church, you know? Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. He should have... No, see, he should have turned code at that yeah. point. And he should have fought on the Patriot side at that you know? point. Because he had that moral dilemma. What I loved about that scene, though, is the shot of his face after the fact. And you can literally see... PTSD just setting in. You can see <laughs> yeah. the trauma forming in his face. You know this man. Whenever you hear stories of, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, the whole point of Mel Gibson's character not wanting to get back into the war is because he went through a traumatic moment of right. being in the uh, <clears throat> the whole Native American thing. You see this moment of Adam Baldwin's character realizing that this was his war trauma story. Yeah. That he's never, ever going to want to go back and i think that was the successful part of this film that they really captured how a lot of war heroes will always have that one story of them never wanting to go back basically every tom cruise movie every war tom you know he always has a war trauma story and i think this this film was really successful in capturing that moment in real time yeah you know like i'm not a history buff and i don't claim to be one and for someone who's just a regular old moviegoer who's coming into thinking, oh, this is a movie set in that time frame, like, yeah, I was misled. Yeah, I was misinformed. And yeah, I got all these, you know, preconceptions and ideas about how that war actually went down because of this movie, which is, you know, telling you just how horrible it is and how big of a disservice it did to the American, you know, populace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the but actual that, heroes of the war. Exactly. No, I agree with you on that, Eric. But at the same time, I'm choosing to look at it as a story of survival and an epic in that sense of having three successful acts having just a well-rounded story of one man's journey and i respect that because you're making an informed decision thank you and for our listeners after hearing this episode you choose to feel the same way about this movie i have no problem with that i have an issue with folks who don't have an opportunity to have an informed decision i agree with that let me make a call to action here folks american history is very young even at its early base think of it this way our grandfathers fought in World War II. Their grandfathers fought in the Civil War. Their grandfathers fought in the American Revolution. It is not that far away from us, that detached from us. You can get 
good entertainment that is also historically accurate. By the way, a la um, John Adams. Yeah. The yeah. miniseries from HBO oh, is which fucking so brilliant. Good. Which is very good. <clears throat> I will state, though, as the devil's advocate, it also did have its historical inaccuracies, but within reason. Yeah. And not nearly to the number that this movie did, and some of them are forgivable. There's a far larger effort to be it, make it historically accurate than this movie, Correct. for sure. This movie feature, well, features, has cellophane in it which was not invented in 1900s <laughs> venetian blinds which were not invented until much later what a damn shame uh way too much cleavage happening <laughs> on what's her bucket that was not appropriate for the time uh, yeah and and young couples even when they were courting did not kiss however the bag thing no it not they didn't kiss not like, not that not people. that publicly i'm pretty sure well not publicly no, it was but pretty, I'm pretty public. sure in private they were fighting. in private i'm sure private no absolutely i'm sure but um but the however sewing into the bag thing um the bundling that, that was actually was a thing that was yeah. cool that was I'm actually sure a trend I what about that. don't worry i'm, I'm a better sewer than my mother <sighs> let's hope so. <laughs> so what about the melting down of the toy soldiers into bullets that was cool. Yeah, they melted everything that. into bullets. Yeah, metal instantaneously melts, by the way, when you put it in. <laughs> yeah, a well, they were tin. Spoon. Yeah, they were tin. They weren't meant to be super strong, which is also means a tin bullet probably didn't work that well physically mm. uh, as lead would have been. Again, or whatever steel is there using. When you have Mel Gibson's gusto behind it, then. Exactly. <laughs> These Actually, are my boys' bullets. Tin, tin bullets can be even worse, technically. Oh, really? They can get stuck in the tissue and don't go all the way through and can cause sepsis and infection. Yeah. Ah, well, there yes. you go. <laughs> so, folks, we, we encourage you, if you guys want to learn about how we earned our freedom in this country, uh, to look up a more historical film. John Adams is one of them. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on the accuracy of it, but the show Turning on AMC is fascinating to watch about the quote-unquote America's first spy ring set in the same period. The dialects in that movie in that show are very accurate because we did have English accents up until about, you know, early 19th century. So uh, it didn't start to go away until way later. Mm, yes and no. I'm just going to say, I mean, a lot of colonies had their own distinct accents because a lot of people had been there for it know, yeah, but, plus years. Um, that being said, yeah. <clears throat> the founding fathers, a lot, many of them still had sure. very English sounding accents. A lot accents. of Bostonites and New Englandites had a very predominantly still British accent. It, yeah. yeah, it's pretty much why they say park the car on Harvard Yard and yeah. drop all those R's. Um, <laughs> and in fact, the dialects are, if you want to know what it's kind of like, there's actually some parts of Canada that still have dialects that are still deeply rooted in the British ancestry that they came from, um, particularly, um, shit. Like Nova, Nova Scotia? Scotia? Nova Scotia, yeah. Nova mm -hmm. Scotia's got a lot of it. I'm not familiar with the Canadian province of shit. <laughs> I am. I'm from there. <laughs> uh, Loud and proud. They, they call it something else, but um, Le shit. Um, <laughs> oh, you just made a Quebec reference. I yeah, did. I was born um, in Ottawa. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into some feedback, shall we? Listener feedback. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a couple of Facebook and Twitter things. Well, Roxy definitely got a lot of birthday shoutouts. <gasps> yeah. Thank you guys for the birthday shout outs, especially the one from, oh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but the, basically the one who <laughs> posted the meme of Nicolas Cage's uh, eagle head. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. That was funny. pretty funny. Yeah. You guys were very sweet to me. Thank you for the birthday shout outs. I had a very nice birthday and I appreciate the love. Uh, we got one again from Steve Rosenberg from the Motion Picture Meltdown podcast. Subject animal episode. This message is for Roxy, Sarah, and Dave. Loved the animal episode. Being a proud owner of three dogs, three cats, five snakes, two lizards, and a handful of fish. Damn. It's hard not to share your emotions when it comes to the importance of love and friendship from animals. Uh, one of the big movie red flags that jumps out to me is the 1940 Hal Roach Jr. film, One Million B.C., in this movie, they literally pit a caiman, a small uh, crocodilian, and a monitor lizard against each other with sails and spikes taped to their yeah. backs and film it to try to simulate a dinosaur fight. Yeah. Downright sick and unnoticed not only because animals were seemingly unimportant at that time, but also because they were are just ugly reptiles, in air quotes. I'm just glad things like this can't be made today. Also... Remember the movie Andre? I love the hell out of that movie. Great job, Sarah, for on hosting the episode. Keep rocking. Thank you much. Can I ask Stephen a question? I know he can't reply because he's not here, but uh, do you have five fish or do you have just a lot of really small fish that can fit in your hand? You don't That's have to reply right the away. The handful of fish. I'm just yeah. curious. Mm -hmm. Did he like scoop them out to measure? Yeah. 
one giant goldfish. I used to have one giant goldfish that used to eat all the other fish in the fish tank. Oh, See, now that would yeah. be, in my yeah. opinion, considered a handful of fish. I would say so too. In one big it was it a mongrel koi, the most dangerous of all oh, goldfish? No. Oh, snap, really? I don't know. From that. Goose no, Bigelow, really Male Jiggle. fucking fish. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. That's right. Thanks for the feedback, Stephen. Cool. We actually got one from MJ as well. Nerds, I've been listening to Nerds on Film for a month now or so, and I have to say I really like this week's topicless show. We talked about this last week. It felt uh, like I was just hanging yeah. out with my friends BSing about movies, except we've never met, and I actually have never actually contributed to the conversation. Um, <laughs> also, I don't think anyone could complain if Sarah's elderly Hollywood starlet character uh, regaled us with stories of Hollywood's golden age <laughs> on a regular oh, basis. my God, Sarah. My that was so character. funny. If only she was here. You guys, if I loved was... the episode last week because that oh, shit was so fucking perfect. David, tell you about the time I got into a three-way with Abbott and Costello. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, Sean, I loved your Spanish. Who's on first? Oh. This bitch. This bitch. <laughs> Sean, I loved your Spanish hypnotism uh, impression. I, just, I was doing it all week. <laughs> there was one time where I slept with Hoppo. Let's just say it was kinky. It was kinky. Oh Wait, Sean, do it, do it, do it. Okay, pay attention to the hips. <laughs> side to side, front to back, side to side, and she is asleep. <laughs> and you hear the sound of a zipper. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Woo! Um, yeah, and then actually, I think uh, we got a shout out on Twitter um, from was it TJ from uh, TJ Whitby or whatever? My favorite Australian of all time, Tom. Tom. Yeah, yes. Um, so got a shout out on Twitter from Tom, who had said that he really enjoyed um, my cackle <laughs> after you called me a cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's that my to- girl in that topicless episode. Yes. <laughs> Dude, so thank the, you guys thank you guys so much for listening we really have the best like listeners and fans of all time yeah seriously uh, we got a couple great shout outs uh, that are history related that we want to uh mention when we do our episode next week but was this this is from two weeks ago uh it was tom with me saying maybe M- liam neepson as a blind oedipus in therapy recounting events Modern retelling in Gangland, Chicago, obviously. I can't remember what that was in re- reply to. Uh, that was when we were talking about if we were to cast Oedipus as a movie. Oh, know, that's do right. Do a live epic of, of yeah. Oedipus. But yeah. we wanted to do uh, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. I think that would be cute. But Oedipus as Liam Neeson, or Liam Neeson as Oedipus. Yeah. I feel like he's a little too old, though. Well. I mean, he, yeah, he does then you have to, to cast, like, what, Helen Mirren as Yucasta, basically? Like, no, but really, really, I would Judy Helen Dench. Helen Mirren <laughs> could get it. You'd have to go Judy Dench. Oh. Yeah. Which, or, again, or, I don't know, Maggie Smith. Ooh. But potentially, yeah. They're both, they're all kind of getting up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, folks, thanks for listening to our episode. And thank you for letting us rant about a movie that... Uh, <laughs> a movie that I'm pretty sure a lot of other people had forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, America. Um, uh, you know how you can say thank anger. you? You can go to com and you click on that donate button. <laughs> Give us and, your hate mail. Because <laughs> uh, if you can't help us out with any of our you know normal affiliates yes. links, like the one we have for Audible on the right, you can send us as little as a dollar by clicking on that link and going to our PayPal page and helping us out, keeping our nerd cave thriving. Yes, channel your hatred into financial support. I think mm-hmm. that, yeah. that really should be our motto. It speaks to it perfectly. Yes, focus your anger. <laughs> Channel your rage. Uh, Take all that hate for the British and turn it into money. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, we really hope, again, that someone needs to make a movie that really mends those, the, obviously the deep damage we've done with our relationship with the British because <laughs> the British are awesome. They gave us Doctor Who and we we, we And cannot, Sherlock. And Sherlock, and indeed. the Beatles. And, and the David Beatles. Beckham's left foot. <laughs> so we really, we, we bear them no ill will. We really yeah. don't. And you know, it was, that was an unfortunate occurrence that happened long, long ago. So anyway, uh, until we meet again, folks, stay nerdy and tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Bye bye. Bye. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Quite impressive for a farmer with a pitchfork, wouldn't you say?